Will you turn with me please to Psalm 133. We'll all know it very well. Psalm 133. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, that went down to the skirts of his garments. As the dew of Hermon, and as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, even life forevermore. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your presence this morning. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you, Lord, that he lives in us, that he is among us, and we are very conscious of that. We pray this morning you bless all those children that have left to go to CET Kids Sunday Church. We pray, oh God, you'd bless the leaders and the teachers this morning. We pray, Lord, that you'd give those who are watching their portion of the blessing. And now, Father, under this roof we pray, Lord, that you would draw close to every heart and into every life and glorify your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. I love you, Lord. I love you. I'm ashamed to tell you in front of the congregation that I love you. We love you. And so we pray that you would speak to our hearts in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. You know, I was going to write this morning and I knew we had other things to do and we wouldn't have much time and I was thinking what to do and I sat down to write and I felt the Lord say don't write but I'll give you what to speak and hence this just dropped into me and, and I've been mulling it over what will I think, what will I say, what will I read from and Psalm 133 came to me I was reading it early this morning and, you know, Psalm 133 is one of 15 what's known as songs of degrees. You'll see they're written in your Bible, songs of ascent. And it's meant to say that there are 15 steps to the temple. I want you to notice this, the word temple, 15 steps. And they sang one as they went up the temple. And then uh, the, the 15 songs here, 15 is a, a number in scripture which has some significance. For example, not only those 15 steps, 15 songs of degrees, but there are 15 days means peace. Gives the idea of peace because the 14th, the 14th day of Nisan would have been deliverance and the 15 means peace. Give you an example. 
It was on the 14th day of Nisan when the Lord told Israel to put the blood on the doorposts and the door lintels. And he, in the 15th day, coming into the 15th day, delivered them and brought peace from Egyptian bondage. You know, we we think of these things and we think, do they really mean much? Well, they're there for a reason. They're there. It's believed that the Lord Jesus gave up his life on the 14th day of Nisan. And they placed him in the tomb. And hence his death, his burial, then after his resurrection. So into the 15th day, the peace of God would come for those who would know the Lord Jesus Christ at his resurrection. If you notice here, these 15 short psalms or 15 steps, these 15 songs of degrees, songs of ascent. The first one is Psalm 120. And it starts with, if you look at it just briefly, it starts with distress. In my distress, I cried unto the Lord, and he heard me. Deliver my soul, O Lord, from lying lips and from a deceitful tongue. Notice it starts with distress. Every one of us were in distress. Hymn writer wrote, he saw me plunged in deep distress. He flew to my relief. Isn't that what we sing? For me, he bore the shameful cross and carried all my grief. So the first song of degrees, the first step is the one of distress showing it's the lower step. It's where we start to realize our, our, our sinfulness, our depravity of our nature. And we realize here we are unable to save ourselves, no matter who we are, no matter where we're from. This church is filled with people from a Protestant background and from a Catholic background who've all been saved by grace from other backgrounds. It doesn't matter what it was. We were all sinners for all of sin to come short of the glory of God. And the Lord lets us see our distress. And these 15 steps were when they were going up to the temple. And hence it says the Levites sung it. It said that the people sang it going into the roads or along the roads into Jerusalem. It makes me think of them singing this the night when our, before our Lord uh, went to have the, 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 the Last Supper. And now he's out of Bethany, just a, a mile or two outside Jerusalem. They would have been walking in, singing these songs of ascent. And they're singing about him. He's going to die. And the consternation is seen on his face that The heaviness of it must have been so visible that the disciples were too busy being in in discord, fighting with each other. They're wanting to know who's going to be the greatest. But Mary sees him, recognizes what he must be going through, and anoints his head with oil, ministers to him. So this morning, I want you to see the unity in this psalm. First one is distress. By the time we come to Psalm 133, it's the 14th psalm. It's the penultimate psalm. In other words, the one before the end. And the one before the end on the last psalm of degrees. Psalm 134. Notice only these two in the songs of degrees, the songs of ascent. Only these two start with behold. Behold, 
You go through those from Psalm 120 later, and you'll see they all begin with different things. But these two, the penultimate and the last one, only have behold. He's wanting us to see. The idea is to, to look at this and to grasp hold of what is happening, to grasp hold of the blessing, to grasp hold of the promise, to grasp hold of, of everything that he does, everything that Christ is. Notice here, behold how good, how pleasant it is for the brethren to dwell together in unity. And what, what the psalmist here is saying, David is telling us that the tribes were coming together the ecclesia in the New Testament, they, they were being called out, as it were, the, the Church of Israel were being called out to gather around one altar, to gather around one sacrifice here, to gather along and to sing these as they're going along. Picture in Christ, and as I said, he's sitting even before his death, listening to them singing about the temple and the lamb and the steps and the upright, rising upward. It, it gives the idea to go up to higher levels. We're saved, we're saved. As we can all with God, we should be growing in the grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. We should be reaching higher levels, as it were, in him, deeper in the spirit. But here's what I want you to see. The, the, the promised power of unity is this. Behold how good, how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. And then there are two pictures given for us of what it is like. What you can expect. Usually when uh, a pastor or, or a preacher or a teacher uh, speaks on unity, they, they do it because there's disunity in their church. Well, I'm not doing that because of disunity. We have unity in our church. But I'm doing it because I want us to stay in unity that the promised power might fall. That the promised power might fall. Gives us a picture of what will happen in CET and wherever else it happens. The unity isn't ecumenicalism. It isn't unifying with everyone and everything under every banner. It is every blood-washed saint, blood-washed child of God. And how good, how pleasant it is. The, 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 The exclamation is, it is good, it is pleasant, but the invitation is come and find it out for yourself. Come and find this out for yourself. It's like the woman in John 4 at the well. Remember the Lord goes and she's at the well in the heat of the day. Remember this woman, she's getting the water and the Lord comes and he must needs go through Samaria and he finds her there and he asks her for a drink and so on and they end up in a conversation. And the Lord tells her her background, you've had five husbands, you're with man number six and he's not your husband. He didn't even condemn her. He says, I'll fill you with my spirit. Do you know what he done? He sent her to her neighbors and went and preached the gospel. I'm telling you, there's some Christians and they'd destroy you if they heard that. Isn't that true? Well, notice here, she goes to those of Samaria, and she says, come see a man that told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? 
In other words, she didn't say, I want to tell you, he is Jesus Christ. He is, and, and starting to say, you must believe me. She says, come and find out for yourself. Is he not Christ? And of course they come and they find at the, at the sound of his words that they come and they say they believe. Not for her. Praise God, it's not for the preacher. It's not for the pastor they believe. But they, they believe because they have, they have come to, to know him personally themselves. I wonder what sort of a mixed bunch came to Christ that day. I wonder what sort of backgrounds were there and what sort of mentalities were there. And yet when they heard him, there was something different about this one. Remember they go to arrest him? They didn't come back with him to the temple. He says, where is he? I'm paraphrasing, where is he? And he says, Never man speak like this man. He didn't take rabbinical teaching and, and give his commentary on it. And then uh, because there was so many rabbis before it gave theirs and had lost the entirety of any word of God at all and had become mongrelized. He came with revelation of God and they said, never man speak like this man. In fact, his words were so profound and so touching and so powerful. You know what happened? They forgot to arrest him. And this woman comes to your man. You know, we, we don't invite you. We invite you, yes, come to Christ Encounters Tabernacle. Come out tonight and hear the gospel. We invite you. Of course, of course we do. But it's not the salvation. We invite you to hear of a man. To come and meet a man. Not this man or any man in here. Come meet the man of Galilee. Jesus of Nazareth. So the unity, we're invited to come. How good is it? How pleasant. Sometimes the word pleasant can mean pleasures in the original text. And the problem with this is men's pleasures can be evil on many occasions. But when it's good, that is in the sight of God, the pleasures are good. They're pleasant. So he gives these two examples, like the precious ointment upon the head of Aaron that ran down the beard, even Aaron's beard that went to the skirts of his garments. I, I've looked up quite a few different men on this. More learned than me, obviously, which wouldn't be hard, but more learned than me. And some of them believe the oil just ran down and maybe touched the collar of his coat or maybe the shoulders. But the, but the scripture says went right down to the skirts. So I'm going to go with what this is. It went from his head to his toes, dripped off the end of his long flowing garments, anointed with the oil, oil representing the Holy Spirit. Notice here in verse 3, gives us another one, another example, as the Jew of Hermon. Uh, Hermon is way up around by the Golan Heights direction around there. And notice it says, as the Jew of Hermon, as the Jew that descended upon the mountains of Zion. So uh, actually Hermon is known as the grey-haired mountain because there's always snow caps on it. The grey-haired mountain. And when it starts to melt, it runs down and filters onto Zion, the hills of Zion. And you see, all of this, because I want you to see this, this, this means something for us 
as Christians, like as, but as an assembly, it means something for us as individuals. Notice for there, where, verse 1, in the place where unity is, is the place where the anointing falls, and where the anointing falls and runs to, there is life. The anointing of the Spirit of God, the Holy Ghost himself coming on us. There is life, even life forevermore. See, the blessing is there. So this is the, uh, the power of the promised blessing. Um, turn with me to the book of Acts, please. The book of Acts, chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. The Lord Jesus has died. He has risen again. He spoke to many disciples. And let I run down the verse 6. Chapter 1, verse 6. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore the kingdom, again the kingdom to Israel? And I said unto them, them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me in both Jerusalem and all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. Jesus was saying to them, only the Father knows the day of the restoration of all things to Israel. And he's taken up. But go and wait on the promise. And what was the promise? The outpouring of the Holy Spirit. You'll receive the baptism in the Holy Ghost, in other words. Now remember, he's already breathed in these disciples and said, receive ye the Holy Ghost. And yet they were to receive a baptism of fire in the upper room. Acts chapter 2, please. Acts chapter 2. Remember, this is the picture of the, the anointing coming on the head of Aaron, where the unity is, where the Holy Ghost comes, where the baptism of fire will fall. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. Notice the unity now. It's important. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Notice, they were all with one accord in one place. Unity. All with one accord in one place. Unity. Some say, what a miracle for the, the Spirit to be poured out in such a measure. Yes, absolutely. But others say, what a miracle they get 120 Christians in the room all at the one time, them all to be with one accord. In other words, with one heart, with one goal, with one view, with one vision, to seek the face of God, to seek the Lord, to seek the promise of the Father, to seek the Holy Ghost to come down. Verse 2, And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. And when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together 
and were confounded because that every man heard them in his own language. Then it goes through all those who had come to the feast of Passover. This is 50 days later. And hence they're hearing from all these different uh, scattered Israelites coming back and they're hearing uh, this glossolalia. Now I know the, the argument is that this is them speaking in other languages like Parthian or whatever you want to put it here, mention those. We all hear them in our own language, and they did. But let your eye run down, if you will, to verse 12, and it says, And they were all amazed and were in doubt. And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, this is the crowd, the people, what meaneth this? And others mocking said, these men are full of new wine. In other words, how they were speaking, baptized in the Spirit, how they were speaking, it was, let's put it into modern languages instead of going through all the old, usually had Greek, Hebrew, and Latin But as they were speaking, they were speaking as though they were drunk. Unintelligible language it was. Coming forth from them. They were speaking as though they were drunk. And the the Lord gave those hearers the interpretation of it. If there had been, say, a a group there who were more from Parthia and Cappadocia and so on, they could have been there. And if they all didn't hear it, one could have interpreted it what the Lord was saying, the wonderful works of God. So yes, he used it that way. Yes, of course he did. We have a, a, a woman here this morning who, who heard this in our church one morning uh, way down in the warehouse, speaking broken English and not really... You can keep up if you're slow, in other words. And and yet the Lord spoke to her through a tongue and interpretation. And she became under conviction. She got saved. The Lord was telling her everything uh, that she had been praying about. She's here this morning. Saved. Ex-Roman Catholic. If I say any more, you'll know who she is. So the Lord... These men were as if they were drunk. And Peter says, look, and I'm paraphrasing, the pub isn't open yet. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. The pub isn't even open yet. So the, the, the unity brings the blessing and the power. And then Peter preaches his Pentecostal sermon on the day of Pentecost. And 3,000 souls are added to the church. And, and so where, where the unity is, the, the Lord commands the blessing. This is the promised power of the Holy Spirit. You turn with me to Acts chapter 4, please. Acts chapter 4. Let your eye run down again to verse 31. Listen to this. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. So this isn't just an apostolic gift. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And they spake the word of God with boldness. And the multitude of them that believed, notice, were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that all of the things which he possessed was his own. 
but they had all things common. I need to straighten something out here in case anyone uh, sometimes online or whatever likes to pinpoint something, maybe somebody who's an enemy of the gospel. They say Jesus was a communist. Now let me straighten this out here. Because they say the apostles were communists. This was early communism. For they had all things in common and they all done things together and they all made each other equal in that sense. Now listen, this is not communism. It was voluntary and it was temporary and it was church-centered, not government-centered. Okay? So it was not any of that. You try to destroy the gospel, try to bring all of these things in. It was voluntary, it was temporary, and it was church-centered, not government-centered. So don't let anyone pull that one off on you, that Jesus was communist or the apostles. And hence, in, in, in Acts 4, you see how the promised blessing comes, and the Holy Ghost moves them in unity. Unity isn't just let's come together for one meeting and have, uh, you know, let's have a time of praise. We all agree. No, it's walking in unity together. It's living in unity together. It's being in unity together. They were, as it were, in the upper room for days and days and days. Did the doors lock for fear of the Jews? Will you turn with me to 1 Corinthians, please? 1 Corinthians. Um, let's go to chapter 3 first of all I'll get a drink while you're turning over let your eye run down if you will please verse 16 listen to what Paul says to the believers here know ye not that ye are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy, for the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. Would you say temple? Now, do you remember in John chapter 2, when the Lord Jesus says, destroy this temple at the great temple in Jerusalem that we spoke of earlier there? where we had our Psalm 133 reading from. Destroy this temple in three days I will raise it up again. This spake he of his body. Do you remember that? Not the actual temple. This spake he of his body. Well, you see, the word he used here for temple is the word naos. There's two main words used for temple. One is on, and the other one is naos. So the, the whole structure of the big temple in Jerusalem the walls, the gates, the, the paving, you know, the, the brick, the mortar, the stone, you know, everything, the whole construct is known as the Heron. It's the structure of the temple. But when you have the high priest going behind the second veil, the Holy of Holies, that area where the Ark of the Covenant was, that area where the blood was applied and where the Spirit of God came and the, the Lord met the high priest there on behalf of Israel. Well, that, that was the naos, the holy place of God. So when Jesus says destroy this temple, he used the word naos. 
the place where you Jews are now going in to what you call the Holy Folies. And hence they want to destroy him because he said that. But this spake he of his body. What was happening? Jesus was saying the very center of what you worship, the very center of this temple, the very center, the very heart of it will be destroyed. But you can destroy this temple and I'm going to raise it again. Because God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. In other words, here's the temple of God. God has tabernacled among men. The son of God. And he's saying, you destroy this. And in AD 70, that temple was destroyed. The actual temple was destroyed. And to get to the Naos, they destroyed the hero and the whole precincts of it. The whole lot of it was destroyed. But he's saying, me, you'll destroy this one where God dwells. And they ask, where you meet God, where you come to God. So hence, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. You want to meet the Father? He's here. It's by me, through me. I am the naos, he says, of God. The meeting place between God and man. It's in me. Now, Paul, Christ has ascended. He's poured out his spirit in Acts chapter 2. We see the blessing of the hearts and the power of it in Acts chapter 4 and right through the book of Acts. And now Paul is writing in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and he writes to us, to all the believers. Know you not that ye are the temple and the word temple is the word naos. When you get saved, when you were born again of the Spirit and washed in the blood, when you were at Calvary and repented of your sins, and they're all washed away and was sang, of it, sang it earlier, my sin of the blessed, glorious thought, my sin not in part but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul. When all of that was done, were you left empty? But God came, the Holy Ghost came, to live in you, isn't that right? He dwells in us. And hence, Paul is writing, he says, yes, there's blessing in Psalm 133. And the Lord says, from the head down comes the anointing spirit or the anointing oil. In Acts chapter 2, they're in the upper room and there's a new, a new dispensation, if you want, of grace. Not too fussy in that word dispensation, but anyway, we'll use it. Of grace. And he says, and from the head will flow the spirit. The anointing oil will flow. And you'll see it in your life. You'll know it in your life. You'll, and that baptism of the Spirit, there are nine spiritual gifts for, for you. And then he takes it here and Paul says, you are the temple where he lives. All of us are, Peter calls us, lively or living stones. And when we come together, guess what? We're building a temple we're individually a temple, but we're building a temple. Paul writes in Ephesians 2, we are fitly framed together. Hence, in corporate worship, the Spirit moves in all of us. 120 in the upper room, the Spirit moves in all of, all of them. 
they were unified, they were in one accord, in one place, and the Holy Ghost came. How good and how pleasant it is for the brethren to dwell together in unity. This is what it's like. In other words, behold, come and find out for yourself. Find out for ourselves that we are unified as one. Paul says, you're the temple of the Holy Ghost. If any man defile the temple of God, God shall destroy. Here's something for you. I'm not going to go into this. I'll go into it another time. What are you doing with the temple of God? Where are you bringing the temple of God? Some years ago, quite a few years ago, a woman, don't know who it was, under a certain name, a false name, started uh, emailing me. And she started trying to excuse how she was married and she was meeting up with a married man and how both of them were together. Asked me, and this is a believer so-called, asked me, was it wrong? And when I said yes, then she asked me, I went down the lines of masturbation. Is it wrong? And I said, I'm uncomfortable, typed it out, I'm uncomfortable with these words speaking to you as a woman. I need to get my wife. I got Alison. And I said, dear, if you're the temple of the Holy Ghost and you're going to meet someone else, what are you doing with the temple of the Holy Ghost? Paul tells us that you join flesh to flesh. And the Lord says, if any man defines the temple, he'll destroy. And maybe teach more on that another time. Go with me as we close this. Time is flowing. First Corinthians. Um, yeah, we'll go to First Corinthians chapter twelve, please. So the, the Spirit has has fallen. They're baptized in the Holy Ghost. The new temple is being built in the believers. And it says in verse 1, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you to be ignorant that ye were Gentiles carried away unto these dumb idols even as ye were led. And then he goes down, I have to just go through this quickly because time is gone. Verse 6, there are diversities of operations, but is the same God which worketh all in all. Verse 7, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. Then he mentions those giftings of the Spirit. The one people usually speak of mostly is about the gift of tongues. And we've talked about that in Acts chapter 2. Um, and how they looked as if they were drunk. In other words, they were speaking as if they were drunk. I don't know if you've ever, maybe some people have never been around a, dr- a very drunk person or not. 
But some drunk people, you can make neither head nor tail of what they're saying. That's just the truth. And they thought these apostles were drunk. Now take note. Take note of this. Run down to the end of chapter 12. And verse 29, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles, have all the gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret? The answer is no, we all don't do any. We all are not either of those. Verse 31, but covet earnestly the best gifts. And I show unto you a more excellent way. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity or love, and become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. doesn't matter what gifting you have. doesn't matter how well you can use that gift, how proficient you feel in it. It matters not if your heart isn't right, if your heart isn't a heart of love. Let your eye go down. In fact, go over to chapter 14. Now here is what I want to lay on you. Just give me a few minutes and I'm finished. Verse 1, chapter 14, verse 1. Follow after. Would you say follow after? (laughs) Follow after. There is Paul telling us, admonishing us. Follow after love. So first of all, he puts love. You have to have a heart of love. Secondly, he says, and desire. Would you say desire? desire. Christian, born again believer, your desire after the love of Christ, your desire should be the seeking of the baptism of the Spirit and spiritual gifts. Do you read that in the Bible? That's what Paul says. 2 Corinthians 5 17 says that Paul tells us that there were new creatures in Christ. Old things have passed away, behold, all things become new. And we could all jump up because we've been saying, go praise the Lord, hallelujah, we believe it, glory to God. But here he's saying, you follow after love and desire these gifts. Desire them. Notice what he says then, but rather that you may prophesy. That's not apostolic. It hasn't stopped. He's telling us. For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men but unto God. Now here's the thing. If these tongues are just other languages, i.e. Parthian or Cappadocian, or even if they're Greek or Hebrew or Latin or whatever they may be, if that's all they are, then why would we need to speak them all even more unto God? What are you going to do? Speak in French unto God? Speak in German unto God? Speaking Spanish unto God, Italian unto God, Chinese unto God, Indian unto God. You want to speak Thai or whatever it may be unto God, Filipino language unto God. It's a tongue that cannot be uh, known to man. It's unknown, Paul says. So it can't be just a language, another language, because you're speaking unto God. Then he says, for no man understandeth him. Howbeit in the spirit he speaketh mysteries. You say mysteries? In other words, you don't know what you're saying. 
You don't know what you're saying. But he does. And he does. But he that prophesieth speaketh unto men to edification and exhortation and comfort. And he that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth himself. So now I'm going to start speaking in another language of French or Greek or, or whatever unto myself to, to try to edify myself. No. Speaking in the spirit unto myself. Worshiping in it. Praising God in it. Praying in it. This isn't another earthly language. But he that prophesieth edifieth the church. People say that's preaching. It can be classed in times of preaching. You know what Paul says, verse 5, but I would that you all speak with tongues, but rather that you prophesied. For greater is he that prophesieth and he that speaketh with tongues, except he interpret that the church may receive edifying. Let your eye run down. Verse 13, Wherefore, let him that speaketh in an unknown tongue pray that he may interpret it. So hold on a minute. I'm going to start speaking in a language like French or German and then ask you, Lord, what it means. Does that make sense? Or is it in an unknown tongue as the living water is flowing in us, as the oil has been poured upon us, as the baptism of the Holy Ghost is on us, and we don't know what it is. It's an unknown tongue. And I'm saying, Lord, what is this? Show me what it means. For if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth. Notice, praying in the spirit. But my understanding is unfruitful. In other words, I'm built up in my spirit. I don't know what it is. But I'm built up in my spirit. Let your eye run down, please. Verse 18. I thank my God that I speak with tongues more than you all, Paul says. What Paul's saying here? He isn't saying, I, I thank my God that I speak with uh, Hebrew, Greek, and Latin, and I speak in, in Parthian, and Cappadocian, and Libyan, and so on, so on, Arabic, and all that. He's not, I speak all them more than everybody else. He's not. He's saying, I have different ministries of tongues more than everybody. And then verse 19. And this is for those who do use spiritual gifts. Please be aware. Yet in the church I'd rather speak with five words. With my understanding that by my voice I may teach others also. Than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. Last scripture. Let your eye run down the chapter. Verse 38. But if any man be ignorant let him be ignorant. Wherefore, brethren, covet to prophesy. Notice, and forbid not to speak with tongues. I want to make this clear here. I want to make it very clear. I'm saying that I'm not trying to be hard to say this. I'm going to say it. There are those who have said they were filled with the Spirit and they abused in the sense of they started to perform as if they were special. And I have walked off the stage and grabbed them in the middle of a meeting and told them to settle down or get out. 
I've done that. This is too precious to mess about with. And when people are aggressive against it, who know nothing of it, who have never studied it, or never been filled with the Spirit on it, I'll be honest, it's hurtful when they attack it. But it's undeniable when you have it. It's undeniable when you have it. Wherefore, brethren, covet the prophesy and forbid not to speak with tongues. Let all things be done. What does it say? What's the word? He's not reading it? No. Let all things be done. And do you see all this mad, crazy stuff? That's what gives all of us a bad name. There's a lot of stuff out there, and they're saying it's off the Lord, and it's, it's, it's entertainment, it's smoke and mirrors. It's to try and make it look like we have life. And then there's that stuff where it just goes into mad, charismaniac chaos. My brothers and sisters will say this. I'm saying it in love. It's not happening in here. It's not going to happen. I won't let it. I've been accused of quenching the Holy Ghost in here. I haven't been quenching the Holy Ghost. No, I've been doing I've been getting things done decently and in order. That's what I've been doing. And I'm going to tell you something else. I haven't been quenching the Holy Ghost in here. I've been quenching people's spirits, not the Holy Ghost. In other words, enough. Do it right or don't do it at all. It sounds hard, doesn't it? But I can promise you, if you see the night I was filled with the Holy Ghost, the afternoon actually, I was on my own. No music, nobody laying hands on me. Lord filled me. And I started to speak with other tongues. And, I, and from then to now, and I can tell you this with a promise, from then to now, it's been so precious to me that when it's starting to be abused, it grieves my spirit. It, it, it turns me, it grieves me. And I see some of the stuff that's going on online and stuff that's just look I'm lively you know I can be lively I was jumping up and down the stairs last Sunday night and I broke my back it's not about the life of the thing it's about doing it right it should edify the church it should instruct us in the way and it should exalt Christ first and foremost in the midst so when the unity is there the Lord will command the blessing I will strive, and I hope you will. I will strive. I will fight for unity among the brethren and the sisters. Now, as I said in the finished look, I have I felt this morning to bring it, bring that because that was laid on me. And was heavy on me, not all that I said there, just what the Lord had given me. And I read up on Spurgeon, or even on unity. He said, you're better to depart in peace like Abraham and Lot than to stay together in disunity like Joseph and his brothers. 
I thought, you know what, Spurgeon, you're right. You're right. You're right. I want just to know I love you. I hope you know that. I love you. I love I love our people. I love our church. There's not one of you I don't love. I love you as your shepherd. I love you as your pastor. But we're going to do things right. And we're going to lead on right. To the glory of God. God is building his church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. God bless his word to us.